You may have noticed how encouraging the first reading is. In case you were uh, not paying attention, just a quick summary. It comes from the book of Job, and he kind of um, just starts off by saying, life is a drudgery. And he says that he's experiencing months of misery and sleepless nights, and he'll be restless until the dawn, and he'll never see happiness again. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Really encouraging there. Uh, whether you've read the book of Job or not, um, at, most of us at least have heard the association that the prophet Job is associated with suffering. And it's because he um, arguably suffered uh, more than anyone else in Scripture, save Jesus, of course. But, but beyond that, I mean, Job's suffering was immense. And as people kind of read the story of Job and talk about the story of Job, they too can pretty much relate and, and kind of wrestle with that question of suffering. Just to give it a little bit more context, Job was a wealthy man with a nice large family and very well off, and he was also a righteous man, very, um, very pious man who uh, believed in God and tried to follow the Lord's will. And at the beginning of the book of Job, there's a conversation between God and Satan. I know that's kind of odd, but nonetheless, it happens in this, in this story. And the conversation, basically, I'll just kind of paraphrase it, um, that, that the Lord, uh, well, God asks Satan or points out to Satan that Job is very pious. And Satan says, well, basically that he's pious because, you know, his life is good. His life is easy. He's got it all set. Of course, he's going to be a righteous man because he's not challenged. And then as that conversation unfolds, the Lord permits Satan to give suffering to Job as a way to show that Job is going to remain faithful even in the midst of suffering. So he permits Satan to test Job, to, to give him a lot of hardship so that we can see his true colors. Is he going to remain righteous or is he going to fall? And then as the story unfolds, lots and lots of suffering come. He has physical suffering. There's the open wounds all over his body. He has family suffering. He loses seven sons and three daughters. And then there's the financial suffering where he loses all of his wealth and livelihood in a very quick, short period of time. And all of that just kind of becomes very, very real for Job, that, that he is experiencing suffering like no other. And then as the story unfolds, there's all these different conversations with different characters in the story wrestling with this question of suffering, this problem of evil. How is it so that a good God can allow bad things to happen to good people? And you see, the Old Testament wrestles with this question a lot, particularly in the book of Job, but, but other places as well. It, it begs the question in the Old Testament, and Jesus gives us the answer. But he doesn't give us the answer in the way that perhaps we're asking for. We want to know the logical reason. We want to know the, 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 the knowledge, because knowledge is power. Although the tradition of the church gives us some, some theories and some, some you know, we, we've wrestled with this question for thousands of years at this point, 
But Jesus answers the question in a different way. He reaches down and touches the misery of human suffering. And he transforms it into something beautiful. We see that pattern over and over again in the Gospels, and it's included in today's Gospel passage. So we're still at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. So much happens right there, even in just the first chapter. And here we are. Jesus enters the house of Simon and Andrew, two of the apostles. And Simon, Peter, his mother-in-law, is ill with a fever. And, And, you know... We're not sure how serious that fever is, but it's at least ill enough that that she's in bed and and she's suffering. And Jesus enters the house and touches her hand, picks her up by the hand, and, and, and she, as she gets up, the fever leaves her body. And right there, we can see this, this revelation of Jesus as healer. Jesus as the divine physician, a theme that happens all throughout the Gospels, that Jesus reaches down and touches the misery of Simon Peter's mother-in-law, her suffering. He touches it and lifts her up and brings her back to life, giving her hope and healing and peace and making a statement for all that are observing that, yes, Jesus is Lord even over suffering. Not only did he come to destroy Satan and sin, but also human suffering, sickness, and even death itself. And as the story continues to unfold throughout Jesus' life, this pattern continues to repeat and eventually hits its climax at at the cross, that he enters into death itself and three days later rises, conquering the greatest of all human sufferings. Now, mysteriously, even though we still experience suffering on this side of the Paschal mystery, we can encounter peace and healing, even in the midst of great sorrow and suffering in our life. It's a mystery. But by the cross and resurrection of Jesus, he now gives new meaning to suffering. Perhaps we still don't really understand why it's there or why it's happening to us in this particular way. Perhaps we don't have those logical, perfectly put up answers. But what we do have is a God who transforms suffering and gives it new meaning for us. That now, henceforth, after the passion um, and resurrection, now we can be configured more closely to Christ through the suffering. Now we learn something about love and we expand our hearts to a greater capacity to love if we allow Christ to meet us in our suffering and we can share that with others with an empathy and a compassion with others who suffer as well. Suffering can be transformative. It can be pedagogical. It can, be, it can teach us how to be like Christ in a way that gives hope and healing to the whole world. As we have the, um, the, the responsorial psalm today, it says, God heals the brokenhearted. God heals the brokenhearted. And see, right there, even in the Old Testament, there's this intuition for the people of God that, that God 
can see those who are suffering and he doesn't forget about them. He doesn't abandon them. In fact, he draws close and he heals not only our our physical sufferings, but, but the woundedness deep within our hearts. He heals the brokenhearted. And as that was repeated today throughout the responsorial psalm, it's just so fitting for our readings. You see, because God knows exactly what you're going through. Every single one of us, none of us are immune to this. Every single one of us knows what it's like to suffer. We have experienced suffering in our own lives, in our own stories. Sometimes it's visible for all to know and sometimes it's hidden and not a single person realizes what we're going through. But whatever it is you're going through, God knows. It might be financial It might be family or friends related. Maybe it's an illness or a sickness. Maybe it's anxiety or fear. Maybe it's something else, but whatever it is you're going through, God knows and he's ready to heal. And we are the only ones that can stop him from that. We are the ones that put up barriers because we're too afraid to let him in because the suffering hurts too much. It's too sensitive. But if we allow him to meet us in our suffering, something beautiful happens. The suffering sometimes doesn't go away. Sometimes it even gets worse. But you know what? As it comes in, we are set free. As the love of Jesus Christ hits us deep within, we experience a freedom like no other. We're set free from the bitterness. We're set free from the lies of the enemy. We're set free from the identity crisis. We're set free from the anxiety and the fears. And there's a freedom that comes alive because the love of Christ transforms our hearts. So today we recognize that we have a God that's not only Lord, not only Savior, but healer, the divine physician who desires so greatly to pick you up and bring you back to life. A God who desires to touch the misery of your suffering and to give you a mysterious sense of interior peace, even though your external circumstances may say otherwise. He wants to save you from that bitterness and he wants to give you a hope because the joy of the gospel changes everything. So today, whatever it is you're going through, I just invite you as we continue this Mass to unite it with the passion and the blood of Jesus Christ. Let him meet you with his divine love and let him give you the strength to transform your suffering into something beautiful. Amen.